Jade Software presents Beta and Beyond, the RegTech Modernization Podcast. Hey, welcome back everybody to Beta and Beyond Podcast. This is your host, Michael Howard. Today, we have a very welcome guest with us, Ganapathy Aya. Ganapathy is a project leader and has recently launched his own training, coaching and mentoring practice. He's obsessed with and can spend hours in a conversation around making technology-enabled projects effective and fulfilling for everyone involved. And don't worry, folks, we won't be talking for hours, but with his experience and insight, the thought did cross my mind. Ganapathy has a history of leading some massive technology-enabled projects and programs in New Zealand and abroad. Through his work with KPMG and other organisations, he has worked with clients across multiple industries and for organizations like Vodafone, Auckland Council, The Warehouse Group, UPL, and Health Alliance, to name a few. His specialty lies in helping clients recover troubled projects. Ganapathy understands how hard it is to deliver projects effectively and in an inclusive manner. He also understands the pains of having troubled projects at hand for all involved. This drives him to synthesize his experience to help clients avoid running into trouble with their projects in the first place. And finally, which is one of the reasons why Ganapathy has joined us today, is to talk about his recently relaunched book, Reboot, which unsurprisingly is a guide to recovering troubled technology projects. Reboot made it to the Amazon Australia bestseller list in the project management category and continues to be in the top five hot new releases in that category. So, thanks for joining us, Skinapathy. Uh, my pleasure, Michael. Thanks for the kind introduction. <laughs> no worries. So, to begin with, why don't you tell us a bit about your experience in the IT world, which led you to write a book on recovering troubled IT projects? <laughs> Seems long ago. Uh, well, I landed in IT by chance. Uh, I'm a qualified electrical engineer by profession, and I also hold an MBA uh, in finance. Uh, from uh, one of the institutes in India. Now, and I started off as an elevator professional. So my job was really to, you know, land into buildings and help them install and commission elevators. Mm. I love the job. I love the fact that at the end of what you did, you produced something that you could see. Uh, However, back then in India, uh, the money wasn't enough. And... And then management consulting attracted me quite a bit uh, through my MBA. And when I got an offer from KPMG uh, at my campus, uh, I just grabbed it by both hands, not really knowing where I'll land with. But uh, that's probably what has really kept me going. And IT was just one of the things that happened to me by chance when uh, KPMG was running short of people to put on to a massive data migration engagement for SAP. And I was asked whether I'd be keen to join, uh, not knowing what's in store, I just said yes. And that's where my journey in IT started. And yeah, since then I've been in IT and pretty much enjoyed uh, the run so far. What I've also realized is technology projects, even though, they paraded as business projects and there's a lot of transformation involved, still continue to be 
quite complex and difficult to understand for people whose core job is not implementing systems. Mm. And neither should it be. And what has what I've also observed is quite often there's a lot of ambiguity and complexity involved, which uh, people in the business struggle to put up with when they have to balance their day job, which is all about managing teams, you know, serving customers, uh, fulfilling orders, and also keep the business going. And then they have to take on the role of leading or sponsoring uh, a technology-enabled project. And most often, uh, as we'll talk about a bit later as well, I'm sure, this is one of the reasons why uh, projects land in trouble. And what prompted me to write this book was really, uh, there are a lot of books on project management. If you search project management on Amazon, you'll find millions of them. Mm. Uh, in my experience, most of them tend to focus on methods and tools and technologies. Uh, what's really missing is a practical, useful and common sense approach to delivering projects and also recovering them uh, if they are in trouble. And that's what prompted me to write this book. Very cool. Sounds sounds pretty interesting uh, background you've got there. So uh, all very useful sort of skills for, um, for where you've ended up, no doubt. So you commented in the book that it's now impossible to find an organization around the world who isn't going through some form of digital transformation. The pandemic surely has contributed to this, but it was kind of happening anyway due to increasing customer expectations and technology innovation. So in light of this, what kinds of pressures are executives facing when it comes to modernizing their organization? Hmm, it's interesting, uh, this question. And uh, it, you're right, you know, the whole technology-enabled transformation was in train even before the pandemic hit. I think the pandemic just legalized the need for us to focus our attention on it. Uh, in my experience, there are two key things that executives are facing when it comes to modernizing their organization through the use of technology. And the key one among them is the fact that almost all organizations I see who claim to be on a digital transformation journey are effectively locked in a conversation that's probably five or 10 years old. So most of the uh, projects and programs that I see currently in train are all about building the foundation for being a truly digital enabled enterprise. Now that is hard work. Mm. It's almost like building a plane uh, while you're flying it or repairing a plane while you're flying it. And that for me is the biggest challenge that quite a lot of organizations, at least in New Zealand, and I'm sure this is the trend worldwide as well, mm. are facing. And that's why you see a lot of projects which are centered around an ERP, an HR system, you know, data management, CRM. These are all foundational systems and structures that need to be in place before an organization can truly tap into the benefits of what technology and digital transformation offer. That's for me is the biggest challenge executives are facing. The second one is more personal. Uh, executives 
are trained and coached and mentored to run organizations. I haven't yet seen anything in terms of education where they're taught how to lead programs or how to lead projects, how to be the face of them. The, and quite often, uh, they're, they're called on to sponsor a particular project or initiative, and they don't really understand what's required of them to get this going and keep it running. Mm. And you often outsource this to the project manager, but what ha ends up happening is a lot of focus and direction is lost when executives try to do that. And you know they know no better. But these are the two challenges. Uh, one is they're all scampering to modernize or get rid of debt that has accumulated in their technology landscape, which is stopping them from serving customer expectations and being relevant in the market. And the second is on a personal front, uh, there just hasn't been enough awareness and education on what it takes to lead or sponsor a project and get it across the line. No, those are two really sort of valid points. And um, yeah, you obviously with um, if projects have been planned sort of five years ago or so, um, I guess when they uh, they finally finish them, like they have to be future proof, don't they? Or else they face being sort of legacy by the time they're in market. They do, they do. Mm. And with the dynamics changing so often, in fact, uh, you know, uh, there used to be a time, at least uh, not too long ago, when people, organizations used to plan projects and they used to run for two, three years. And at the end of it, uh, what they produced was still relevant. Mm -hmm. That's no longer the case. In fact, a project or a program that you undertake now might be irrelevant next year. Mm -hmm. Okay. And how do organizations keep track of that and enable systems that allow them to adjust? You know, pivot is probably an overused and abused word, <laughs> uh, but adjust is probably far more useful in this context because if you have mechanisms to help you adjust your project objectives and outcomes to what the dynamics are dictating that will leave you in a much better space to deliver projects that actually help you realize benefits and unlock value that you're planning to do yeah sure so we we all know how complex some IT projects can be, but even the simple ones can hit turbulence. Um, reflecting on your experience and what you've seen in the market, what are some of the early warning signs and symptoms of a troubled project? Uh, this is an interesting one. Uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Colin D. Ellis, uh, and he uh, is a workplace culture specialist and uh, has a long experience of running and structuring large uh, programs of work. And he's written a number of books and, uh, you know, essentially they're all on projects and culture. One of them uh, is called the project rots from the head. Mm -hmm. And what he dwells on in that book is projects are essentially the result of the person who leads it and the environment they create for people to engage. Mm. And for me, 
that is the key reason why a project would succeed and another one would probably go off the rails. Uh, doesn't matter how uh, big or small the project is. If you do not have a face to the project, uh, you, you will find it a bit of a struggle to get the project off the ground and also keep it running and eventually deliver. Now, for me, that's the biggest sort of watch when I uh, look at projects. Mm -hmm. The second one in my view and experience is systems. Now, people talk a lot about the need for skills and mindset uh, uh, and attitude. And don't get me wrong, they're all important. They're all important. Uh, I had the privilege of listening to Gilbert Enoka, uh, who's the All Blacks manager and has been the mental skills coach for the All Blacks for a very long time. Mm. And he was speaking about how do you build and maintain high performing teams? And in his experience, he said, structure is probably what differentiates teams that not only are filled with talent and great mindset, but teams that can deliver outcomes. Now that for me is really what good projects are about. If we do not have the structures, and this is one of the things that I have a bit of a, uh, uh, how do I word it? I have a bit of a grudge against as well, when people talk about agile and safe and all these methodologies and assume that all these methodologies can do away with good old fashioned governance and risk management on projects. Mm. Uh, people seem to think that just because uh, you know you structure a team into a scrum uh, sort of methodology, you can get away with governance. But in my experience, if you do not have the governance and the systems and the structures that help you keep be honest as you go through the project, uh, you will most likely see things falling off. And these mm. are two key reasons that projects start running into trouble. Of course, in my book, I touch upon a lot of other symptoms of uh, what you see in troubled projects. And these could be meaningless outputs, you know, lack of clarity, uh, too much or too little information. Jargon, jargon's a beautiful one. Mm. Uh, you know, the more you see, uh, the more troubled a project is, the more the jargon that you're likely to hear. So this is something I've uh, always watched out for when I walk into projects and see if people talk to me about a whole lot of jargon. Then I realize, OK, there must be something going on where people are trying to hide behind jargon. People don't even realize what it means. <laughs> uh, um, so. You mentioned in the book a four-stage framework, CARE, for mitigating and turning around troubled IT projects. Can you briefly unpack each of these four stages for us? Oh, yes, I would love to. In fact, uh, <laughs> it's interesting you ask this because I've read my own book about 15 times before it <laughs> went out. And by the end of the 15th uh, reading, I was probably sick of it. Uh, and uh, so the CARE uh framework is something I've come up with based on my experience and uh, care essentially stands for uh, confess act resolve uh, and I just put in resolve because I couldn't find 
uh, a better word starting with R. Uh, what I meant was decide and execute. So confess and within the care framework, I also talk about six factors that really define whether a project is going to go in the direction you want or you know it's going to go off the rails. And what I do through the care framework is in each of these st stages, I talk about how do we assess each of these factors, determine whether you know they're fit for purpose or do they need a bit of tweaking or overhauling in that sense mm. and go through it. So the confess phase is really all about looking into the mirror and acknowledging and accepting where you are. Now, in my experience, uh, if you are not willing to do that with a level of honesty and integrity, then it is very difficult for you to, to recover from a troubled project. Mm -hmm. And most often this hits right at the center of our existence because we're all, you know, we've all grown up to believe that it's it's not okay to accept failure. It's not okay to accept that uh, we are in trouble, and we all try and put up a brave face. We do that in our personal lives, isn't it? Uh, when somebody asks us, "How are you?" Our normal response is, "Yeah, I'm all right. I'm okay. I'm good." But deep down, there's a lot that's going on in our mind which probably says, "Hey, I'm not really okay. I'm actually <laughs> stuffed up." And uh, I just can't admit it to you. So confess really dwells into that. In fact, it's probably the most uh, you know elaborate section of the book because, in my view, if you can look into the mirror and state things as is, and get your project team to do the same, and this includes your suppliers as well as your leadership, then your chances of being able to come out of it are much much higher. Mm. So that's really the confess uh, stage. You then have an act stage, which is all about setting a view of how can we recover this and using the six factors to, to go through them and pretty much decide what are we going to do to recover each one of them. And there are things like, uh, you know, is the purpose of the project, people who care, uh, the is there a journey worth undertaking? Uh, what are the rules of engagement? Because mm. uh, you know, since slavery was ab abolished long ago, there's no reason why people should come together and collaborate and deliver something unless they feel a true sense of purpose and passion behind what they are asked to do or what they're doing. Okay. Uh, mm. Otherwise, what you get is compliance and passive resistance. Sure. So I, I do talk quite a bit about rules of engagement and connections that click, which is all about the structure. So in the ACT phase, we go about pulling all of these together to come up with what we believe is required to get this project across the line or shut it down elegantly. Mm. And this is one of the things uh, this section uh, leads nicely into is it also talks about the need to consider whether a project needs to keep running or not. And quite often I've seen organizations just keep on running with it and putting more money, effort, time into it only to keep 
going down this deep uh, deep hole mm. from where recovery becomes very difficult so the act phase really helps you pull all of the things together so that you can make a decision on what you want to do with this project the res- that leads into the resolve stage which is all about deciding and the keyword here is decision it talks about how do you decide whether to keep a project going or shut it down with care so that's really what the resolve stage it's a pretty simple one if you've done your uh, confess and act with honesty and integrity and the resolve stage really paves the way for you to decide what you want to do with the project and then the execute uh, while it doesn't talk through you know pretty much getting the entire project across the line it mm. does talk through a, a mechanism to ensure that you don't land in trouble again okay because in my view uh, and i've seen a number of programs every few months they undergo a reset you know they have a new plan a new leadership team a new project manager and then 6 months down the line they realize nothing has improved mm. so this stage really talks about what are the things you need to do to ensure that uh, you know you don't land in the same situation again uh, and it also talks about what to do when you've decided to shut down a project or you've decided to postpone it for some time because it doesn't fit with your priorities or capacity in the current context so mm-hmm. that's really what the care framework is all about yeah cool um so in the confessed sort of side of things it got me thinking about uh setting up expectations before even beginning such a modernization project or transformation um have you got any sort of insight into into this so the confess stage if you uh if you read the book and I'm, uh, I'll I'll get a copy across to you mm-hmm. uh for for your organization as well the confess stage really starts with the purpose mm. and the leadership because for me in every project the purpose and the person leading it and this is not the project manager mm. this is the person who has stood up and said this is a project that i believe will help the organization unlock protect or create value okay and so it starts with examining these two factors which mm. is what's the purpose you know now every organization has a number of problems a number of opportunities that they can tap into and each one of them will unlock something or the other for them mm. doesn't mean you solve every problem okay and it's a choice that you make on whether this fits in with the direction you've chosen to go Yeah. Uh, now the uh, I was leading a massive uh, ERP and HR transformation last year when covid uh, started uh, descending on us. And we got the business case approved. It was a, a program that fitted in nicely with what the organization's direction was. However, when covid started hitting, uh, you know, the leadership team there sat down and discussed saying, "Hey, we agree this is an important project but with the changing dynamics is it still so important that we need to do it now and give it the attention mm. and very quickly the answer came out saying no we need to focus on ensuring that our customers are well served and our employees are taken care of 
and all our initiatives need to be focused on that for the next six months. And this is something we we do not believe is high up the priority when it comes to that. Mm. So the project wasn't in trouble. You know, there was nothing to indicate uh, anything that it wasn't important. However, it wasn't important enough at that point in time. And so we look at that from a confess stage. The mm. second one is the sponsor, is absolutely the sponsor. If you have somebody who is less than passionate and doesn't really stand to gain from the project, and I don't mean in terms of uh, money or you know they're going to get a promotion or anything like that, it really has to serve them and their function. It has to solve a problem. It has to unlock an opportunity, which is of value to the organization. Mm. And if the person who's the face of the project is not in conviction and doesn't have the courage to stand up and face uh, their customers and the stakeholders in the program, then I don't believe the program's worth pursuing. Mm. So these are the two things I look at when we start the confess stage. And then there are other factors around, you know, what's the governance, what's the structure, what are the rules of engagement, which are all equally important. Yeah. But for me, you know, the purpose and the person leading it are really where it starts and ends. Yeah, cool. Okay, um, so just as we um, sort of entered into this um, this question around care, you talked about the success factors um, for recovering projects. Can you touch on what these are? Oh, I would love to. I would love to. <laughs> so, as I said, the two uh, there are two of them which we discussed uh, right up front. One is what I call a destination worth visiting. Mm. I mean, this is a glamorous way of saying, is there a purpose uh, to undertake this project journey? And uh, we've talked about that. The second is people who care. Now, we've touched briefly upon the sponsor, but mm. there are more. You know, a project is always about people. And uh, this includes the organizational team or what people call as the business subject matter experts. Mm -hmm. It includes the information services or ICT teams. It includes suppliers. It includes, uh, you know, in some cases, regulatory agencies, customers. And so the key is, are there enough people who care for what your project's going to produce? Okay. Now, that is something I delve into quite deep into the book and talk mm -hmm. about various uh, you know, stakeholders within the project and what it means for them and how do you establish whether this is something they care about. Because if nobody cares about it, then uh, you're pretty much having, you know, you're having a dream and it's going to break at some point mm -hmm. and you're going to have some pretty harsh consequences to deal with. The third one, which I look about, look into, is a journey worth undertaking. So it's all good to say, hey, this is the purpose and it stacks up well. But if the journey to how you will reach there is not outlined clearly, it's very difficult for you to reach anywhere. Uh, it's probably one of the reasons why people and organizations fail to achieve what they plan to. Now, every organization has a lot of ambitious goals and objectives, and they have a very clear vision and mission statement, which tells them what they stand for, what do they want to be, and 
you know how do they plan on achieving them but if there is no roadmap and guidance on how they are going to achieve it you will lose people along the way and people will start to see oh there's no clarity on what needs to be done we do not know what's the next step and it's also difficult for people to visualize some of this especially if they're so stuck in the detail it's quite difficult to visualize and that's mm. one of the things i look at the fourth one i look at is rules of engagement and guiding principles as i call them and uh they're all about how do you think because thinking on projects is quite critical mm. you know it's almost the stuff that is often heavily ignored and people are just into the rat race of getting deliverables you know doing ceremonies you know doing their reports without really stopping back and thinking why does this you know actually make sense to do or is it relevant at all so we talk about rules of engagement which covers how do we expect the project team to think how do we expect them to say it what do we expect them to feel about it and what do we expect them to do okay so all of these are important because every time you falter or you believe things are not going well on your project this one really serves as a bit of an anchor to come back and say hey i think we've deviated from uh, these guiding principles or the rules of engagement within the project and the the next one is around connections which is all about governance uh, informal and formal governance and structures mm-hmm. that keep the engagement going because if you need people to engage with your project then you need to create an environment for it and you need to make the invitation it is you know i hear a lot of stories where people say oh we've communicated we've sent out emails we put up posters but the engagement is hardly there mm-hmm. and that's because you haven't created an environment where i feel like engaging with the project and the final one which uh, i know is quite uh, a pertinent one because uh, you know very few organizations have unlimited pools of money mm. and that's why i touch upon it is the money we need okay now uh, this doesn't mean you pour all the money and hire the world's most expensive consultants and you know throw money around in celebrations and all of that it's making sure that you've got the money you need to deliver the project successfully and this is a conversation i often have with executives when we set out to recover projects and make sure that we've got the money that we need and it's secured so because without the money it's quite difficult to run a program i've seen organizations for example assume that people within the business will just find time to contribute to the project without actually making sure that they are freed up to do the job and what happens is these people experience severe stress you know they have pressures on the operational front and on the project front and this leads to a lot of disillusionment i've i've known of people who've landed in therapy wow. because of having to go through a project while balancing their day job and all of it is related to money if you were to free up those people and backfill them or allocate some of their tasks to other people you know it helps a lot 
in delivering project outcomes successfully. So those are the six factors. The destination worth visiting, uh, people who care, uh, a journey worth undertaking, rules of engagement, connections that click, and the money we need. Yeah, cool. There's a lot in that, so thanks for, thanks for getting into that. Um, so it may sound like a bit of an obvious question, but who is this book for? What kind of person would want to read Reboot? So I wrote this book uh, with two people in mind. Uh, uh, I mean, I won't name the individuals, but <laughs> their roles are uh, you know, pretty common. Sure. So essentially, this book is for a project sponsor who leads an ERP, an HR, an MDM, or a CRM type of engagement. So operational technology-enabled projects and the project manager who leads this. So those are the two people that I really uh, would love uh, to have them read this book. For others, it adds value. But uh, you know, when I write a book, I always focus on who am I writing it for and then try to make it relevant and of service to them. Yeah, cool. And what kind of feedback have you had so far on it? Uh, I've had some pretty good feedback uh, from a number of people, including uh, CIOs and head of HRs of organizations, as well as a few project managers. And uh, the feedback has, in summary, been this is a really useful and practical book without mm. the jargon in it, which actually pleases me. Yeah. Because my whole intention was to leave the jargon out and make it super simple and easy to understand. And if projects are what you're interested in, then uh, you know you find this as a practical guide you can refer throughout your journey on a project. Yeah, cool. So um, I'm going to do something slightly different now. I'm going to hand you the metaphorical microphone and let you ask a question on either what we've discussed today or something um, sort of about our organization. So fire away. Mm, so it's payback time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, see, one of the things I've, uh, you know, I've worked with uh, people from your organization uh, over the last few months. And one thing I've realized is in a market that is currently experiencing a lot of attrition and staff turnover, Jade somehow seemed to have retained a lot of their people uh, in fact, um, you know, Jade was the only organization on a particular project that I worked with where the account manager or the project manager didn't come back to me saying, oh, we've lost this person uh, to another company and we're scampering to find replacements. Uh, now, that is of great value when you run projects. Mm. Now, I'm keen to know what does Jade do? And I'm sure it's it's got very little to do with the money that uh, Jade would offer in compensation to people that keeps people, you know, glued to the organization and turn up with purpose. Mm, that's a good question. And it's a, a sort of a, a bit of a sad sort of um, situation, but one that we're very grateful for, um, sort of at Jade anyway. And um, I think just reflecting on that, um, throughout our sort of existence as an organization we have really had a focus on people um various sort of ceos that have led the company have um, 
really been sort of champions for us, um, for our us as employees. And um, I think Charlotte Walsh, our, our current CEO, has done a tremendous job on this as well. Um, sort of her and uh, Kate Salway, our Director of People and Capability, um, they're both really focused on building a culture and an environment, a workplace that people want to turn up to, um, sort of it's fun, engaging, inspiring. Um, personally, for me, when I joined the company, it was just the the, the number of smart, intellectual, uh, intelligent people that you get to rub shoulders with um, every day. It, it's inspiring, uh, for sure. Um, and I guess, yeah, there are also just a whole lot of other sort of sort of soft things sort of on the side, sort of events and, um, yeah, something I'm very grateful for. And um, I guess it's one of the reasons uh, why we're able to band together and, and stick together over what was a very difficult year last year. Um, so we're looking forward to seeing the, um, the results of that um, over the coming years. Now, that's really good. And it also talks about how your organization's probably radically traditional. And this is, again, something I heard from Gilbert Enoka, where he mm. said, organizations that thrive or, or teams that thrive are radically traditional and they disrupt the edges. They don't mm. disrupt the core. And what you've just mentioned seems to reinforce that where you focused on the core simple principle that people are what define how your organization is perceived and visualized in the marketplace. And if you can focus on them, then the rest will take care of itself. Mm, that's right. So um, that, that brings us to the end of this episode. Uh, Ganapathy, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Yeah, my my pleasure, mate. Thank you so much for inviting me, and I've really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, no worries. So, um, good luck with the book. Uh, no doubt it will bring some great insight and support to organisations, not just in New Zealand but around the world as well. So, uh, thank you to you, um, our listeners as well, for being on the show. We can't wait to bring you the next episode of Beta and Beyond, the RegTech Modernisation Podcast. So, until then, see you soon. <laughs>